0: Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the passing shot and our 2019 Grand Slam review. Melbourne, Paris, London, New York. We've now had all four Grand Slams this season. So it's time for me and Kim to look back retrospectively on what has happened at this season's majors. And Kim, I think we should probably just kind of address the elephant in the room with our predictions at the start of the season, which were questionable to say the least, weren't they?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you look back, I'm kind of quite embarrassed by some of my predictions. (laughs) I think I had Zverev winning the US Open and Sabalenka winning Roland Garros, which now just seems absolutely ridiculous, right? Um, And I think I did have Del Potro, but that was just more kind of wishful thinking maybe. Oh yeah, complete
0: mess. Yeah, I'm I think I was the same. I think I had Del Potro winning the US Open. I think I got a bit too carried away uh and forgot that he does have injuries like All seemingly on a rotation. So yeah. uh yeah, but uh yeah, I think we got I think though we we both got I think we both got two right. So We got
1: Rafa at the French and Novak at Australian Open, but I think probably ninety-nine percent of tennis fans might have also predicted that.
0: <laughs> um yes.
1: yeah, I mean the slams, yeah, they've been and gone now. I think on the men's side, you know, well let's begin there because we've had two different winners essentially, Djokovic claiming Melbourne and Wimbledon, and Rafa claiming Roland Garros and the US Open, so two apiece for the top two players in the world. Um, you know the big three just continue to dominate don't they okay although Federer hasn't won a slam this year you know he reached the Wimbledon final and you know did pretty well in in the other slams Um it's been 12 consecutive slams in a row now for the big three and I think this this really is the best statistic of all 55 of 66 grand slams since Federer's first at Wimbledon 2003, have been won by the big three. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that
0: is absolutely mind blowing. It just shows you the levels of, of domination the big three have had over the last um, over the last kind of 15 years of tennis. And and what actually dawned on me once the U.S. Open finished is we we're, we're now you know the next Grand Slam will be in a new decade. So actually, we can look back on the 2019 Grand Slams, but also big picture. If we look back at kind of the, you know, we'll see, you know, 2019 again, dominated by big three. Well, actually I think that's just kind of, it sums up the last decade, doesn't it?
1: Well, the last two decades almost because (laughs) technically they could dominate for another two, three years, which would bring you up to almost like the 20 year anniversary of Federer's first slam. I mean, it's since, since I think you and I both kind of got into tennis they've been dominating really I mean I remember Djokovic kind of coming onto the scene you know when I I sort of became was an early fan in those days but I've not really known tennis without them so when they do all finally go it's going to be weird it's going to be a big shock um and I mean let's look at some of the the ones that have managed to kind of clinch a few from from their clutches We've had three slams for Andy Murray, three for Stan Mavrinka, and then we've had five single slam winners over the last, yeah, 16 years. So Andy Roddick, of course, Marat Safin, Del Potro, Marin Cilic and Gaston Gaudio. So since that first slam of Federer's at Wimbledon 2003, only 10 different winners of slams which yes if you compare to the women's side we'll get onto that in a bit but it's you know there's been for example on the women's side four different winners in, in one year alone this year so it's just such a contrast
0: yes and I think I think that is an issue in the sense that I think a lot of people are saying well you know was 2019 the year that actually we just got a bit bored of kind of seeing you know Novak Djokovic or Rafael Nadal lifting you know Grand Slam trophy above their head I think I think this year we kind of woke up to the fact actually we want a little bit more we want a little little bit more surprise we want we want you know more first-time winners and I think you know the match against particularly the match between Medvedev and Nadal I think that kind of you know for me that kind of summed it up in the sense that I think there is this kind of feeling now amongst tennis fans it's like yes the big three have had their time, but can't you just let a few other people win win some win some titles? Give them a chance.
1: Yeah, I think Medvedev came the closest. And I, I suppose also to some extent Dominic Team at Roland Garros, you know, he's reached two finals, you know, he's beaten Djokovic, both of those tournaments. And, you know, he took a set off Rafa in the final this year. Um, and probably against any other player, he would have won that tournament. You can, you know, that's sort of a strong point to make, I think. Um I think there is definitely more appetite amongst the tennis world for, you know, the so-called next gen to finally break through. But I do think it's gonna take the big three not just kind of it's not gonna take the next gen. They can't just come and take it away. I, I I think personally it's gonna take problems for the big three to sort of let someone in. So injury or just old age, you know, if something's going to happen maybe <laughs> to allow a next gen to kind of finally clinch a slam. I mean, I think there's this there's this idea going around. That maybe some people are quite bitter, especially if maybe you're fans of, I don't know, someone like a Anishikori or a Dimitrov. That, you know, this kind of generation of players that are now, you know, late 20s, early 30s. They were tipped to win slams and they never did you know, is there, are they kind of like a stolen, like lost generation of, of potential Slam winners?
0: Yeah. I mean, Andy Roddick, uh, I think came out um, at the US Open. I think there was a a quote in the media from him saying, you know, I feel like those guys have taken away an entire generation of Grand Slam winners. And, you know, I can't, you can't really, I don't think you can really argue against that. And as you said, I think, you know, when you look at the, the big three, it's kind of like, well, if, if they're doing really successfully, then yeah, it's going to have to, have a compromise somewhere else. And yeah, I feel like that compromise has been made by, you know, the, you know, that crop of, of tennis stars who, um, you know, yeah, the, that crop of tennis stars who are yeah, in their like kind of late twenties, early thirties now. And, you know, when, you know, thinking back to, again, the U S open, we saw Dimitrov beat, beat Federer. It was kind of like, well, this is, a, that was like a little bit of payback, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, what could have been? I mean, yeah, I, I I do concur with, with Andy Roddick's statements, but at the same time, I think we've just seen the most amazing three tennis players, you know, the best, arguably, of all time, just create this kind of genius on court and they've each got, you know, their own way of doing it, different styles, and we've seen, you know, the most amazing matchups and epic matches and rivalries. And I wouldn't, you know, say I wouldn't want that, you know, just to allow kind of five other players who have got a few slams. For me, you know, this has been the most dominant kind of period in, I guess, in many sports. I can't, could you think of, I guess in Formula 1, we've had, you know, Schumacher dominating years on end. You know, I'm just trying to think of a parallel to the kind of dominance of the big three. But, you know, you sometimes you just have to sit back and appreciate it and think this is probably ne- never going to happen again. So let's just kind of glorify in it while it's happening. Yeah.
0: And, and we did have, you know, we did have some epic matchups between the big three that makes you think, well, yeah, on one hand, you might, you know, some people might think it's getting a bit repetitive, a bit boring, but, you know, when they give us matchups like djokovic in the in the Wimbledon final... Um, you know the semi-final as well at Wimbledon with Nadal and Federer stepping on court you know I think you know for the first time at Wimbledon since you know that epic match in in 2008 Um, you know it, it, it kind of yeah it gives us these special moments and you know I think we are kind of aware that yeah they are kind of aging they are getting towards the end of their careers and There will be some people who, on the flip side, are kind of like we need to cherish these moments. We need to kind of crystallize these experiences. We need to take it all in because it's not going to be it's not going to be around that much longer, is it?
1: No. And how long do you think it will last? When do you think their dominance will finally come to an end? Will it? Will it end just with their retirement? You know, will they suddenly announce, "Oh, sorry, I've had enough." You know, after the Olympics, are we going to see maybe some? Are we going to see Federer? going finally or will we carry on as long as he's reasonably fit and healthy and, and enjoying it like, I don't really see a, a, a kind of end point right now it's it's just difficult like, who do you think is, is gonna be the first new slam winner I mean Medvedev is probably the one that now will spring to most people's minds as a result of the US Open but if you had to put your money on on one player who who would it be Joel?
0: <laughs> it's, I think it's a tricky one because I think I think what we've learned from 2019 Grand Slams. I think you know if there is one player, you know, on on one court surface that I can think can live with the big three and can take out the big three. I think it. I think you'd have to say Dominic Team on a clay court. I mean, as you said, he's he took out he's taken out Djokovic in the last kind of two French Opens to set off Rafa in the final. Um, you know, you, you kind of. You, I think you kind of, yeah. I think you look at Dominic Team and you think like, he is one of those players. He probably would have, you know, one or two French Open titles by now if it wasn't for, you know, greatest greatest clay court player to to have ever lived.
1: Maybe it'll be third time lucky for him next year. Be a new decade, a new French <laughs> Open champion. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping not. <laughs> As a Rafa fan, I'm personally quite enjoying Rafa. You know winning two slams a season and uh carrying on but you know i mean well it has yeah it's brought us some interesting debates you know will the next gen break through when will that be i think maybe we bang on too much about the next gen and that's part of the problem is that they're getting too much kind of coverage and attention and sort of added pressure but let's go and look at the women's year in grand slam so as we said earlier four different slam winners um You know, and actually, if you go and look around back at the semi-finalists, aside from Serena Williams and Alina Svitolina, who made two semis apiece, there's actually been 14 different slam semi-finalists this season, which just goes to show the depth of of the women's game, you know, in massive stark contrast to the ATP Tour. And, you know, as a general tennis fan, you know, I mean, I'm a big rapper fan, but I follow both the ATP and the WTA Tours. I think it's quite nice because yes you've got this dominance on the ATP but with the women's game for me it's very fresh and exciting because there's so many like up and coming players and it's really you know it's really hard to predict and I think that's a good contrast in a way because you've kind of got the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah and I think what's I think what's kind of funny about the the women's you know the women's draws at Grand Slams I feel like you could have no seeding do away with rankings, and you know it'd almost like be the same sort of you know, it's that sort of level of unpredictability. Because we get you see like unseeded players getting to you know the semi-finals. We had you know Barbora Stracheva get to the semi-finals from out of nowhere mm. at Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, Von Drusopher at French Open. Um, Danielle Collins. I mean, yeah. lest we forget Daniel Collins got to the semifinals of the Australian Open. I mean, it's just kind of, it opens it up to, you know, there's so much intrigue from, you know, week one, because I think everyone who's in that draw feels like they've got a fighting chance, essentially, to go and have a, a very deep run in the competition. I think 2019 proved that with you know players like Collins and as well von druseva stritschkaver all getting you know very deep in into these competitions from you know with you know from from being unseeded
1: yeah and i think it's that belief isn't it if they sense that there's an opportunity and it just adds something to their mind you know whereas in the men's game it's kind of like okay i might win a few rounds but ultimately i'm going to come across one of the big 3 and that's probably my my lot done you know so i guess that just kind of gives them that extra kind of bit of mojo, perhaps. I mean, you know, I think on the women's side this year, you know, it's, yeah, we had a lot of players breaking out, as you said, Von and Enesimova, semi-finalists, you know, they're young, up-and-coming players that we can kind of all get excited about. Obviously, um, we've seen Bianca Andreescu, perhaps the biggest breakout star of all, you know, she actually won a slam and, you know, has had Mm. an incredible season, and, you know, quite a short season, actually. She's only played a couple of events, really, but just been so mind-blowing. I mean, Ash Barty, that feels to me like so long ago that she won the French <laughs> Open. We've kind of all forgotten about her because of what Andreescu has just gone and done quite recently. Mm. Um, and although Ash Barty, you know, she won her first slam, to me that, compared to what Andreescu's done, it doesn't really feel that significant. I don't know about you, Joel. I feel like, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't see her in the same way as I'm viewing Andreescu.
0: Yeah, I think you know at the moment Andreescu is obviously a big a big deal in in the tennis world, and yeah, it's it's interesting because we're getting all these different Grand Slam winners. You know, they've each got their own story, and yeah, it almost kind of puts what ha- what's happened before in the season, you know, in the past. Because you know, I, I would go even further back to you know Australian Open. We had Naomi Osaka win, and I think mm. she became like you know. But she won back back to back Grand Slam titles. Um, you know, for number one and number two, um, that was you know that was that was very impressive. But yeah, then Ash Barty came along. Great story there. And then we had Simona Hallett win Wimbledon, and then yeah, as you said, Bianca Andreescu is just kind of I feel like trumped trumped all of it. Um, we I feel like the only kind of other story you know on that sort of level is. Is is Coco Goff actually uh, mm. at Wimbledon who yeah. who's created kind of a wave of of media attention and I think you know as much as we do have all of these sorts of all these tennis players could potentially get to, you know, semi-final, um Coco Goff is one of those players that is look we're looking at potentially, you know, are we seeing her potentially as, as filling the role of of Serena Williams for the, the future generations.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the reasons, you know, there's so many nice individual stories that have come out of the season on the women's side, especially so many lovely, like personal kind of moments. And I think part of it is that we are kind of looking for that new player to kind of, for want of a better analogy, yeah, to become like the new Serena Williams, someone who is going to dominate, you know, there is a, a void, isn't there between kind of the Serena era and a new new player, because we you know Serena's struggled, she's lost her last four slam finals. You know, she's not gonna be playing for much longer, is she? So we are, I think, as tennis fans, looking for kind of an emergence of of a new kind of leader of, of the women's game, someone who will dominate for years to come. Um so I think perhaps that's why we're so sort of keen to get behind, you know, the Andreescu's, the Osaka's and the and the goths of the world. I think it's almost like, are we in kind of a transitory period? But we just don't know who it's going to be that's going to take on that mantle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because I I think there's a lot of, you know, I've I've been reading about kind of parallels between, you know, this period in the women's game and, yeah, that transitionary period between, you know, Sampras and Agassi and then the Federer era where you had, you know, players like Thomas Johansson, Gaston Gaudio, you know, Albert. Albert Costa, you know, getting to Grand Slam finals, winning Grand Slams. And, you know, it was all, it felt very much like um, there was no one player who was dominating that period. And, you know, I know that Serena is coming back, but, you know, it's not like you can't say, you know, when you look back on 2019, it's not as if she came back and had it all her own way. I wouldn't say she's not the dominating force. She was, you know, before, you know, before child. You know, before she had a child, um, and yeah, I think I do wonder if, like, kind of, yeah, we are in that transitionary period, and we are waiting for that one player that is going to come and kind of be that establishment at the top of the game, like a Serena Williams, or or even like a Maria Sharapova. I, I don't. know. But Joe, know.
1: I mean, do we do we need someone to dominate? Is it is it something that as, well, as a sports uh... fan do we look to always have? like this kind of higher being at the top to aspire to and because it is it because we love an underdog. So we need to have someone right at the top who's going to come up against all these challenges. You know, do I, you think there's something in yeah. in sport as a whole that requires that kind of contrast?
0: Per, I mean, personally, I, I love a challenge and almost like a target. And, you know, I feel like on the WTA side, I can't think that there's like one player that is a, you know, is a target i guess at every kind of grand slam like you know federer jokovic nadal have kind of targets on on their back i guess you know in on the men's side and and i don't know for me i feel i'm a, I'm a bit more kind of like i want to want someone at the top who wants who's just going to be like is takes on all comers uh you know uh, 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 uh the grand slams and be like can you can you beat me um you know you've got to go through me in order to win your grand slam you know to, to win a Grand Slam.
1: Mm, yeah. No, I think, um, well...
0: I don't uh, think you agree with me.
1: I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sort of taking it into a wider sports context. You know, <laughs> I'm just trying to compare to other sports. You know, people say like F1 gets a bit boring when there's just one person winning every race or, you know, like, I don't know, the La Liga, it's only ever like Barcelona or Real Madrid that win. You know, it it, it to some extent, if there's no chance for like underdogs and other people it's kind of does become boring but then at the end of the day you can revel in the greatness so it's just it's interesting what people want from sport you know the sort of emotions and the threads that run through it but just moving on quickly one thing that I wanted to just touch on I mean not this isn't necessarily linked to slams but I think what we've seen this year on the WTA especially is kind of um, an increased emphasis on on sort of the mental health of the tour and the players you know we've had a lot of top players on the women's game coming out and speaking quite openly on social media you know Naomi Osaka obviously she won the Australian Open but you know she split from Sasha buy-in has had quite a lot of struggles with dealing with everything and she's been quite open about that you know in her press conferences and on social media and then I'm just trying to think you know Katie Swan opened up didn't she with a Kind of Instagram post yep. about how she yep. felt she was just sort of self-hating, you know, she wasn't able to win a match. And it was all these kind of emotions that, you know, at the end of the day, these people are, are regular people, you know, they have the same kind of thoughts going through, you know, and stresses and worries that they have to deal with. And it's kind of, I think, amplified because, you know, they're in the public eye. And, and I think, you know, obviously Andreescu as well, she's, you know, now hot name on everyone's lips you know she said how much like meditation and and her positive mental attitude has really kind of made the difference and I think that's one thing for me is is kind of is that mental health is kind of getting more focus and you know ultimately can make all the difference and I think that is what is going to hold people back more than more than anything else when it comes to you know breaking through and and yeah potentially becoming you know the new Dominant force in the women's game, so I think on the women's side that's been more of a a positive thing than on, say, the men's side of the game. I think there's still a lot of progress to be made there.
0: Mm. Yeah, very yeah, it's very interesting stuff, and I think yeah, certainly with Osaka, I think we have. I feel like we have been on a journey with her because you know she went from those highs of you know back-to-back Grand Slams, but she's come you know in, in getting to world number one, but certainly she's had you know, things to overcome. And yeah, it definitely has shined a light on us in terms of, you know, these tennis players are not, you know, they're not invincible. They are kind of, they are human, and I think this kind of just is an aspect into their world that, yeah, we don't necessarily see in on the ATP side. But, it's yeah, it's really interesting to see on the WTA side. But, um, yes, we are going to go to a quick ad break now, but we'll be back and we'll be talking about our favourite moments um, from the Grand Slams this year. So join us after this quick ad break. Okay, we're back, and we're going to recap some of our favourite moments from the 2019 grand slams i mean i feel like there's lots of different places we could start kim uh we actually put this out on our twitter as well asking our listeners what they thought i mean let's just kind of kim let's just kind of tick off what our moments are first of all um you know i immediately my kind of starters for 10 You know, was the Sissipas upset um, of Federer at Australian Open. Also, Sissipas and that Vavrinka fifth set at the French Open. Um, And for me, uh, I know you're not going to like this, but Kyrgios Nadal at Wimbledon in the third round, particularly that moment when Nadal was at the net and and Kyrgios hit a a body shot at him.
1: Oh, trust you to pick (laughs) that one, Joel. Honestly, (laughs) you Kyrgios apologist. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, for me, favourite moments got to be Rafa winning his 12th Roland Garros. I mean, and also his 19th slam, you know, with the US Open. Um, But apart from that, I I did really enjoy Simona Halep getting Wimbledon. I mean, that performance that she put, you know, in the final was just amazing. I just thought, wow. Um, So I was really, really pleased for her to get that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think... The Coco um sort of fever that encapsulated... Gough mania? Uh, the- Wimbledon. Yeah, I mean, I was on Hemingham Hill. Were you a believer? Well, I was on Hemingham Hill watching that third round tussle she had with Polona Hersog And I've never seen Hemingham Hill so busy. Like it was, I mean, it was kind of like that kind of time in the evening where, you know, all the other courts had kind of finished. So obviously the hill was packed because everyone was kind of just watching the end of the match before they went home. But it was honestly like you know she it was like watching you know a british player like even more than that <laughs> it was just such a great atmosphere um so that's one of my sort of memories just you know that was the only slam i actually made it to this year so and um probably also i like, i did enjoy a bit of dan evans against jao Sousa on that third round saturday it was like late night drama roof closing i thought that was that was quite you know from a british perspective
0: and speaking of a British perspective, yeah, one of our listeners, Amisha, said Andy Murray versus Bautista Agut in Australia, which how can I forget? Because we had that. I mean, that was a great match. Um, and uh, Bautista Agut actually had a really good set of results at, at Grand mm. But um But um, that retirement speech re- slash video. <laughs> oh, my God. What was going on there, Kim? Well, it was a bit that premature, is...
1: perhaps. Oh, God. <laughs> but what? at the time, we were like, oh, no, it's tiring. <laughs> it this felt, this felt like end. a funeral. It I felt know. like a funeral. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I guess Andy the Australian, career, but... you know, Tennis Australia had to do something in case it genuinely was the last time. I mean, it still <laughs> might be. He might not play Australian <laughs> Open again, but... Yeah, it's been a very roller coaster year for Andy Murray. Um what else have we had Brian Bond mentioned Marcus Bagdatis retiring. So a bit of a sort of you know from the last decade it's been quite a a key A well, colourful character and a half. Yeah, colourful memorable always player. brings
0: the fans with him I will Yeah, uh,
1: especially in Australia.
0: Oh yeah. I, when, when were you there with me when we watched oh, against Rublev? Rublev, yes, that was a the great crowd. match, wasn't it? Last year, that was year. fantastic yeah. atmosphere. Yeah.
1: Um, what else have we had? Nawal Nadal, Nadal. Uh, one of our listeners said um, they really enjoyed Francis TFO's mini run at the AO. I think he got to the quarterfinals, didn't he? Yeah. 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 Um, what else did they say? They some of the matches that uh, sort of stuck out was. Uh, Pierre hugues Ebert against benoit Paire at the French Open. I think that went to a fifth set, didn't it? Yeah. Um, Berrettini-Schwartzman at, at uh, what was that, at Wimbledon, I think? I'm not sure. Goffin-Medvedev-Burton's Townsend. Uh, well, US Open, vekic gurges I think Gurgis had match points in that one, didn't she? And then lost. townsend Hallop, yeah. Obviously, Halep lost to Taylor Townsend quite recently at the US. So, um, Monfils, Chapoval, have so many good matches that N- N- Noir and Nadal's listed. Um, I've got. I have to say, they've got a better memory than I have when it comes to <laughs> yeah. <love> these
0: times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've wa- I watched so much tennis. And yeah, I I I, uh... I know that like the Grand Slams this year, generally speaking, we had some we had some fantastic kind of one off matches and like you know matches that you know you wouldn't expect, I guess, to be kind of popcorn or like yeah overly dramatic but yeah certainly there were some some big highlights uh, Pusha T as well um, said uh, it's a testament to how good this slam season was that Naomi backing up last year's US Open title in Australia is almost an afterthought and then highlighting yeah yeah and then highlighting, is, yeah, yeah. And, and highlighting also Conta and Bar- Conta's run at the French along with Ash Barty's win um, and yeah it just kind of goes back to our point on you know, surprise semi-finalists and, you know, Conto at the French Open certainly, certainly was one of them.
1: Yeah. She'd never won a match before. And then <laughs> here she goes into the semi-finals yeah. and arguably should have made the final. But, um, yeah, we also had at spizzy spos Spose, um, you know, saying again, so many young stars on the women's side going deep, you know, and a Samovica cook off Andreescu kind of signaling the next generation is ready to go all the grand slams. Um, Here's a good one. At Claire, Claire 211 she's mentioned seeing Andy back playing and fit and winning queens with Lopez. I mean, I think that was such a nice moment, wasn't it? I mean, th- actually, that that tournament alone, just Feliciano Lopez, singles and doubles. I think that's just maybe actually what the sweetest moment of the tennis year <laughs> for me, maybe. And and,
0: and, and also, uh, she's, she's written, my appreciation for all things Medvedev, mm. which uh, I think that encapsulates it because he is a... He is a character uh, and, you know, there are times when he can be the sort of bad boy of tennis like Nick Kyrgios and kind of throw his racket, throw some tantrums. But then we also see the we've also seen the other side of him with, you know, the love in with the crowd and at the US Open after kind of them getting on his back. Um, yeah, he's been I think he's been a real kind of uh, boost for uh, for fans over certainly over the last kind of few months in the, in the summer.
1: Yeah, I'd, I liked Kira Eve as well. She's mentioned um, the wind at Roland Garros causing chaos. Uh, yes, <laughs> that fi-
0: that Federer Nadal match was possibly was probably played in the worst conditions. Yeah. I think that match uh, that uh, sorry that uh, that match has ever taken place in. Complete opposite to kind of you know their Wimbledon semi final where it's all pristine and you know a very La-dee-da. serious and yes. yeah, and that was just played. I think. Was it, it, it was it delayed or it was played like a Wednesday morning or something? Because <laughs> I really low key oh, gray it was skies at a Friday and... at like
1: ten a.m. or something. I don't know. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not ideal. And the women got yeah. shoved to like court twenty yeah. or something ridiculous. I mean, yeah. that brings us on to sort of controversies of the year, Joel, in <laughs> in slams. And I think one of the biggest talking points has been the scheduling because you know, especially at Roland Garros, so much drama over. You know, putting the women's semi-finals on, kind of essentially the sec well the third biggest court. I think Joe Conta and Marquette von Vondrousova were put on, well, essentially yeah the third best court.
0: Yeah, it, which was, just it was just not, not ideal.
1: Not ideal, and not exactly. I mean, okay, maybe they thought yeah they could. It's because they they did the ticketing. They would sold the tickets separately for the men's semi finals so they had to be on. Uh, Philip Chatrier but you I know say, women's yeah. semi-finals didn't get sold separately it's completely you know contrasting sexist way of ticketing and I really hope yeah. that changes for next season um, yeah I think
0: that that issue I think goes beyond like not having a roof yeah like, d- 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 like, I, I, like I get bad weather happens and uh, you know that changes scheduling but the way they kind of did the ticketing I think that was a bit yeah that added a bit more kind of yeah, con- controversy to it. Having said all that, next year the French Open will have a roof Woo-hoo. on Chatrier, so maybe we won't get any sorts of these scheduling issues anymore. No. Who, kn- who knows? Uh, I think I read somewhere actually. Maybe the French Open goes like day-night sessions. I don't know. Maybe that could be a could be a thing. But um, yes, we had um, scheduling controversies. Um,
1: Djokovic. When he, do you remember when everyone thought he had uh, just walked out and stopped playing? refused to play on because it was too <laughs> oh, yeah. windy and they said oh there's a storm coming and then half yes. an hour later it was like perfect blue sky and everyone yeah. was like he just walked off um, but you know both he, players had a to he'd already packed pack his
0: bags wasn't he yeah was, he uh, was just kind of like, this was at the French oh, Open that was the, drama
1: and then the, the next day I thought oh yeah Djokovic has got this surely because you know the conditions were better and thought you know the break came at a really good time for him <laughs> but no team came through and did it so um sorry also a lot of people saying about um just the way the draws are done a lot of people saying that you know the US open draw isn't is not done live they they do it behind the scenes and then they just reveal it which doesn't seem very open and um democratic perhaps.
0: yeah that seems a bit odd actually because i actually think the us open does a lot more than other slams do for fans and it feels like the draw is obviously part of the fan experience. And yeah, it, it feels like a no brainer to not have that kind of open and accessible and live with kind of fans, like, you know, with fans kind of following along, not kind of just uh, sort of, Oh, here's, here's a draw I made earlier and, and whip it out from, you know, under the table or whatever. Um, but yes, uh, but we also had it at the US open um, Mark, Imbon got in touch with us and said and, and I and I remember this from British from a British fan's perspective, and I think Dan Evans brought it up in his, his conference as well, was the fact that I think Evans was had played a match um like the preceding evening um because of a um I think weather completely wiped out a whole day of of action at, at, at Flushing Meadow and basically meant that he had very little time between his I think second round and third round match which was against Roger Federer I think was like first on Ash and it kind of opened up the debate on whether you know players uh, of you know a Roger Federer caliber hold more sway in scheduling versus uh, the kind of lower ranked players like Dan Evans
1: yeah well I think a lot of people um on Twitter especially have sort of Added fuel to that debate as well, you know, saying that they think both Federer and Nadal get more preferential scheduling than, say, Djokovic, even, you know, and it's sort of these slams are kind of organized around Federer a lot of the time, maybe. Um, and you've got to think about TV networks and how much kind of impetus they have. So there's a lot of, you know, maybe somewhat disgruntled um, fans of certain players thinking, oh, you know, this is putting my player at a disadvantage. But at the end of the day, the players have to get on with it. And we don't really know what's going on as kind of outsiders. If anyone's got an inside perspective, can they shed any light? Tell us. <laughs> and actually, um, I, I apologise.
0: That was that was from Joel. That that comment was from Joel Newnham. Uh, Mark Imbong actually said to us, was his comment was around the fact that Serena Williams following the... Um, Controversy last year in the final of uh, that in the ladies' final. I don't think uh, she basically requested that the umpire was it um, Carlos Ramos. Carlos Ramos was would not uh, be able to would not umpire any of her matches at Flushing Meadow.
1: Yeah, which and, I and guess basically
0: being like, are you allowed acceptable. to
1: request that? I mean you know he used the example of in the corporate world can I just tell the CEO to replace my boss or a colleague you know if we get into a disagreement which is a good analogy because at the end of the day you know Carlos Ramos is a professional you know he's a good umpire and uh, she just obviously disagreed with what he had judged the situation to be and I don't know I mean okay yes maybe players should be able to have special requests for certain things but you know, is she going to get into an argument with other umpires and just, you know, have a blacklist for all of them or something? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, I think sometimes you just need to get on and not let those sorts of things influence you. Just clear your mind and focus on your match. But yeah, I think that was, I think we need to, you know, well, uh, if it's in the rules, it's in the rules. And you've got to look at changing the rules, I suppose, if, if so many people think it's not not right. But she didn't have any dramas of the umpires this this US Open, so no, I think no, um yeah. it was kind of a one off. I mean, probably the biggest controversy of the year, Joel, um, will probably continue to be a controversy, is is Nick Kyrios. Um I know we've <laughs> yes. spoken about him at quite a quite <laughs> length on the podcast. Yeah. Um still waiting, I guess, to see if there's gonna be any kind of higher punishment for some of his his antics.
0: It's, yeah, and his comments as well, because yeah, he came out of the US Open and said basically. I mean, what did he say? He said something along the he lines said the of ATP, like uh, ATP, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um And then on court as well, you know, I I go back to that Nadal match at Wimbledon where you know he's just like hitting, trying to hit. Um, well, he did hit Nadal, um, you know, with body shots, um, and uh, yeah, he's just. He's stirring the pot isn't he and, and and he's he's stirred the pot every every grand every every, every tournament grandstand. he entered I think,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I wonder how long he will go on and do that for you know maybe maybe we'll all get bored of it, he'll get bored of it, and he'll just think, oh, well, I need to yeah. change myself, I need to seek professional you know i mean i, I- he needs I'm to kind surely, of sort himself out, doesn't he? Like in an, um, in the nicest possible way. I have no <laughs> doubt
0: he's he's playing the Labour Cup. I have no doubt he's been told to be on yeah. his best behaviour. Oh, Absolutely gosh. true. Um, but yeah, let's move on quickly to uh, the Brits. Uh, we've already kind of spoken a little bit about Joe Conta. Um and you know, you probably would say, you know, Conta of all the Brits has, has done has, has done the best. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, she got to. I mean, bar the kind of Australian Open when she got to the second round, semi-final, quarter-final, quarter-final. And I think, you know, on one hand, you look at that and you think, that's pretty impressive. And then on the other hand, you think, ah, oh, you know, Stritska at Wimbledon in front of a home crowd, Von Drusseva in, you know, her, like, you know, teenager, you know, in an unfamiliar kind of environment, new experience to her, et cetera oh you know could there have been could it could she have gone on just you know maybe a one round further and and get to get to a final
1: yeah but then at the end of the day she did in order to get to those positions she did beat Sloane Mm. Stephens Petra Kvitova and Karolina Pliskova in those three slams which you know were higher ranked players and you know she could have well have fallen foul against them so Yes, I think she did have some disappointing matches after those kind of big wins, if you like. But I think but at the still, end of the day, she's been very yeah. consistent in the slams. And
0: yeah. And I think what's most impressive is, yeah, the fact that she had, she, you know, going into the clay season, terrible, uh, terrible clay record, terrible record at, at the French Open. Um, didn't, you know, didn't affect her. US Open, I think she went out in the first round of, uh, the Rogers Cup and um, and Cincinnati c- Cincinnati didn't affect her, so it's great to kind of see the fact that she can go in cold to these events and put a decent a uh, put a decent run together. Yeah, which you know, which I think Kyle we... Edmund
1: doesn't seem to yeah. be able to do. You know, as an example, you know, he's really lost his way, really lost his mojo, and I hope next year he can kind of get that back. Because for the men, you know, this this year Dan Evans has been the one really to watch, isn't he? He's made two third rounds of a slam. I mean, I guess the question for next season is, can he get to the second week? You know, he came so close at Wimbledon and that will be kind of, I think his, his main goal next year. And, and, you know, Cam Norrie didn't do anything really in the slams, but he did get to his first ATP final. So again, I think next year, I think a slam breakthrough will be obviously his, one of his main goals. Um, obviously Andy Murray roller coaster season, not really sure what to expect you know he's got some singles to play in the Chinese tournaments that are coming up as we're recording this, so that's gonna be a big question mark going into next season once again though I think the doubles from a British perspective is really you know where we're where we're at you know Jamie Murray had an excellent u s Open won the mix semis of the men's, so I think. <laughs> You know, our double, you know, the depth and strength in our doubles field is, you know, on the men's side is is really positive.
0: I think what's great about the doubles and for Jamie is the fact that, I mean, he obviously had a really good partnership with, with Neil Skupsky. Yeah, but now with, with
1: Neil Skupski. But he's yeah. now
0: with, yeah, he's now yeah. with another Brit, which, you know, that's going to, you know, you'd think, you know, them playing together, that's going to really help, you know, come... Davis Cup, Davis Cup, or any sort of team ATP Cup, (laughs) ATP Cup, Um, all these
1: team cups. Yeah, gosh. (laughs)
0: Um, So you know, you you'd think that would put them in a very good position to help GB in that in the doubles tie. You know, if if Andy isn't isn't fit um, or or doesn't or doesn't play. Um, So yeah, certainly think you know, twenty nineteen's been very good for British doubles players at Grand Slams. Conta has probably the pick of the bunch in in the singles. And yeah, we just kind of. It, this has been a. Yeah, for Kyle, I think it's kind of been a bit. It's been a bit more down than up. Um, and yeah, we just need to hope he can rediscover that form from, you know, a couple of seasons ago now where, you know, he was absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah. So, Joel, what do you think next year is going to bring? Talking of the Slams, I mean it's my
0: crystal ball.
1: Do you think we'll have a non-Big Three champion um, in the men's side? Do you think any of the women's slam champions from this season will win another slam next season? How do you think Kim Clijsters is going to do? She's announced her comeback to the women's tour, which is is surprising, to say the least. Um, You know, how's Andy Murray going to do?
0: Um, how's Tatiana Golovan going to yep, do? Yeah,
1: she's also coming back. <laughs> she's... Uh, gosh, she retired years ago. I mean, yeah. gosh. Yeah. Whew. I mean, for me, I think I think on the women's side, we will see... One of the players that's won a slam this year, I think, will win another slam next year. Not going to say who. Whether it'll be Halep, Andreescu, Osaka or Barty. I think one of them's got
0: to win another slam next year, surely. Andreescu? Yeah. You think... I? Yeah, I as think for the men, Andreescu. I think
1: I think it's like it's more likely next season that we'll see a non-big three slam champion than than that it has been this year.
0: I've got this feeling for some reason. I know we've talked about Dominic Team at French Open, but I am wondering whether the U.S. Open because it's the last one in the year and you know the net, the big three again older, creaking a little bit more. You know, we saw Djokovic have you know he had nothing what injured shoulder at the US open i wonder whether like you know that sort of that um air of invincibility is going to go away kind of sooner into the season which might open up an opportunity for someone like her you know Marin silich did like 5 years ago to go and to go and win
1: yeah i think it's going to come from injuries preventing the big 3 and i think it will all have to fall into place, kind of like Serena, maybe finally equaling Margaret Court. It's going to almost require a bit of luck on the side of the fact that she might need some of her opponents to be a bit injured or, you know, have a first time nervous finalist to play against. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think it's going to require circumstances to fall in the right way. Um but yeah, so many questions. But we shall be, I'm sure, covering them on a preview episode later in the year before it all kicks off again in 2020.
0: <laughs> yes, and if actually any of our listeners, if you've got any, if you've got any thoughts on 2020 Grand Slams, what are your kind of predictions looking into the Crystal Ball? How, who do you kind of see? You know, do you think the big three can be usurped next season um, in terms of Grand Slam winners? Do you see the run of different winners uh, in the, on the women's tour? Do you think that's going to continue? Uh, how's Andy Murray going to do? Uh, let, us, let us know. You can contact us um, on social media uh, at Passing Shot Pod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Um, or you can email the show as well, uh, PassingShotPod um, at gmail.com.
1: As Joel said, we'll be back uh, with a preview episode towards the end of the year, but obviously we'll be back with a lot more episodes in between, um, including our regular catch-ups. Still lots of tennis in 2019 to come. So thank you for joining us for a little extra slice. Um, Do remember to... Tweet us, like us, subscribe, give us a rating on iTunes. Um, you can find us at Passing Shot Pod on all social media. Um, so until next time, hope you've enjoyed listening and take care and goodbye.